I have uh, a cold. I've taken several lateral flow tests, so don't worry. Uh, someone asked me if I was positive or negative. I'm positive that I'm negative. Um, but I do have a cold, so I apologize if I'm a bit nasally uh, for you to listen to. Uh, what a fantastic time of worship this morning. It's so good to hear from God, isn't it? Uh, as we were worshiping, I, just, I had a similar uh, image, I suppose, uh, that in line with some other stuff that was uh, shared of, uh, I don't know if you know the story of Job, and there's this moment where he sat in the ashes of everything that he had. You know, his, his family's gone, his possessions are gone, and he's basically sitting down in the ash. And I think it says that he's like part of a piece of bo- broken pottery. He's like scraping the sores that are on him. That's how, you know, low he's got. I just had this image of, you know, some of us feel like maybe we're sitting in the ashes. And actually what Job was desperate for was a mediator, someone who could put a hand on God and put a hand on Job and bring the two together. And I was just so encouraged. I felt God, through what was being shared this morning, I was saying through the Holy Spirit, through what Jesus has done, Jesus comes and sits with us in the ash and says, come on, let's go, and walks us out of the valleys into wide open spaces. So I don't know if you need to hear that, if you need to be encouraged this morning, but Jesus has come, wants to come and sit with you. He wants to sympathize with you. He knows what it's like to be in that dark place. And he takes our hand and he walks with us. He puts his arm around our shoulder and he walks with us into wide open spaces. He walks us out of those dark valleys. Uh, as Yost said, my name is, is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I've actually just recently been full-time for the church seven years. So that was quite an achievement for me. That was quite... Uh, I lasted that length of time, which was nice. Um, maybe not so much for you uh, sometimes. But uh, just time goes by so quickly, doesn't it? I was just shocked by that. Almost Megan and I recently celebrated our 11th anniversary. Uh, we were at a wedding yesterday uh, and just thinking, uh, talking to someone, they said, oh, it feels like yesterday I was at your wedding. I think, oh, yeah, it does feel a bit like that. But then you think, oh, time's gone by so quickly. 11 years, three children. Oh my goodness, you know, it's, it's, it goes past quickly, doesn't it? And I think the older you get, it seems to go by quicker. Maybe when you're young, you know, you've never experienced a summer before, maybe when you first, your first summers and you think, oh, the summer lasts for ages. And then when you have children who are at school and they're home for the summer, you think, oh my goodness, the summer lasts for ages. Um, but what, it just goes by so quickly. But it's good to to have things that we're looking forward to, isn't it? I don't know if there's something in particular that you're looking forward to. It's been hard to look forward to anything, I know, over the last two years because of plans being made and changed and all of those sorts of things. But what are you waiting for? Is there something that God has spoken to you about that he's encouraged you with? He said, you know, I'm going to use you for this work or I want, I want, you're going to see this in your life. Or maybe it's just not specific to you. It's the, it's the promises of the Bible. This is what I'm going to do. This is what the world is going to be like. What are you waiting for? Coming up soon, we've got Christmas. Again, I've said the word. We're well into November. Christmas is fully on the agenda, isn't it? Um, that rhymed a little bit. That wasn't intentional. But we start to, you know, we've got advent calendars in our house. My in-laws, they like to buy advent calendars for our children. Um, and they've got this huge one. I don't know. 
It's, it's like, it almost looks like a miniature Empire State Building. It's got, you know, windows all around it. I was like, why have you given that to us at the start of November? And they said, because we didn't want it in our house, um, which was very kind of them. But it's meant that we've had to go, no, you can't open it today. Not to, no, it's still a couple of weeks away till Christmas. But we're going to, um, we need to look forward to things, don't we? And that's Advent's about looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is coming. The promised one's coming. And it's for us to, it's to remind us to look forward to Jesus is coming again. If you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Hebrews 11. Uh, I'll try and encourage, give you sort of a little... I haven't got the clicker, um, but if you can click it on. I just want to recommend something to you. That I think other versions are available. This is an ESV version. This is called a reader's Bible, uh, and it has no verse markings in it. So it's a little bit tricky if you're trying to find a particular verse. But actually, some of the way that things are written is so helpful to read them almost, you know, single column. It's like, it's like a book. Shock of shocks. It's like a book. And so when you're reading through parts of the Bible, some of the letters, it's so helpful just to have this uh, sort of way to read it and not be interrupted by uh, some of the sort of subheadings and those kinds of things. So we're actually going to start in uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 34, Reminding ourselves of all that Alex preached uh, yesterday. Uh, save me a job if, uh, if you can get that up a bit louder, Benny. Um, <laughs> so we're going to read uh, from verse uh, 35 in chapter 10. As I said, it's a little bit tricky to find your verses in here. Um, but it's, it's so helpful. Just, I'd encourage you to get a hold of a copy of this. There's various versions available. So whatever your preference is for... Bible version. Uh, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Jacob, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say would... For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That sounds good, doesn't it? Keep listening. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in caves in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It's the word of the Lord. That's a lot of Bible to have read in one go, so well done for keeping with me. I think it's important sometimes to do what we've done on a few occasions over this series is to walk through 
like a couple of verses at a time. And then at other times, I think it's important that we get the broad sweep of what's being said. We could go through and we could look at all of these individual stories, all of these different things. We could go back and we could be here for a long time. I'd encourage you to maybe across this next week, read through this chapter, think, do I know that story? That's not how I remembered Moses, that that whole thing going down. Excuse me. But I'd encourage you to go back and read these things. But the broad brushstrokes, the the big picture of what's being said here is that these individuals, these heroes of the faith were looking to and living for a future promise of God. They were looking for what was to come, for a better country. Uh, For my own enjoyment, I've entitled this sermon Hebrews 11, an undiscovered country. A little nod to all you Star Trek fans out there. If you don't know that, that makes no sense to you. Star Trek 6 is called, the original Star Trek 6, an undiscovered country. They lived in pursuit of a better country. We live, we should live in pursuit of a better country. They lived in tents as strangers and exiles in the world. It's hard to feel like where you are is your home when you live in a tent. We went camping in the summer. We were gifted with like probably the best tent I've ever seen. Someone gave it to us as a present. It was a, it, fantastic. Tiny little bit of a rabbit's paw in the sense that you know, it's a great gift, but we had to then get like a trailer and a, a tow bar attached to our car in order to be able to take it with us. This thing weighs 50 kilos. It's huge. It's one of these inflatable ones. You put it up in 10 minutes. It is amazing. It's still a tent. I wouldn't want to live in that forever. These people lived in tents to remind themselves, partly, to live as strangers and exiles in the world. There's a big difference between uh, being present where you are and putting down roots, which is a good, healthy thing to do, and clinging onto those things so tightly that God can't move you. That we need to make sure we don't get distracted and live only for the here and now. We live in pursuit of a better country. They did this all by faith. It says by faith they did these things. What is faith? We, hear, we see the answer to that in verse 1. This isn't going to be a sermon particularly on faith because it's going to be a sermon on living in pursuit of a better country. But verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of those things not seen. I don't know if you've ever known someone you think, I want to follow that person. Or they just, something about them, they just, they've got it. They know what it is. They, they're, I'll let you into a little secret. I very rarely go into any kind of political stuff when I'm preaching because I don't think it's helpful to anyone. This is, I'm going to dip my toe in a little bit. Do you know why Trump was popular? Because he had conviction. You might completely disagree with everything he's ever said, but he, he believed what he was saying. Whether it was true or not, he believed it. He had conviction. And people saw that 
And people see that in people and they go, he, he's confident, I'll have some, I'll do what he's doing, I'll follow him because he knows, he's, he's serious about what he's talking about. We need to have conviction. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to stir and gift us with increased faith. So we have conviction, we know. Now, obviously, I'm, say, I don't know whether you were a fan of Trump or not, but that's not the point. It's the same with, you know, the, the guy who came before Obama. Um, he had conviction. We can change. Yes, we can. It's a convic- conviction statement, isn't it? We can do it. American politicians are a bit more fun, <laughs> fun than English ones, I think. They're a bit more, I don't know, maybe a bit more sort of uh, advertising, aren't they? Whereas ours are a bit more... Uh, stayed, that's probably for the best. That's as far as I'll dip into politics. (laughs) (laughs) How do we grow in faith? I think, how do we increase our faith? How do we make ourselves more robust? Well, we do it by what's been done here. This is why I wanted to read those first few verses. It says, People that shrink back, people that sort of back off, it's, it's because of a lack of faith. But the writer to the Hebrew says, but we are not those. We are not those who shrink back. We're those who have faith and per- preserve our souls. And then he goes on to tell the story of all, or mention, doesn't tell the stories really, but he goes on to kind of tell and mention so many stories of these people, these heroes of the faith. As we said, these, the people that are hearing this message, reading this letter, they would have uh, known a lot of the, the historical uh, stories that would have been part of the Jewish culture. They would have known these stories. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Gideon. Gideon is a great story. This guy's hiding He's a no one. He's the least of the least. And God raises him up to be the leader of the nation. Time would fail me to tell of that. I haven't got time to mention Gideon or Samson, the guy who pulled apart a lion like you would a young goat. I've never pulled apart a young goat, but I imagine it's slightly easier than a lion. And Samson just did that. But I haven't got time to talk about that because you need to get this message. It's an encouragement to say, we are those people. We are, we're part of this lineage. We don't shrink back because we have faith. Verse 39 of uh, the last verse of chapter 10 says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's an encouragement to persevere. It's an encouragement to Remember, we're part of this lineage. We go again. This is not about stoicism. If you look at, you know, David, he's commended. But if you read the Psalms, the Psalms that David wrote, it's not about being stoic and going, I just know what I know and I don't feel anything. We're not talking about stoicism. We're talking about real faith that goes, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm in the pits here. But I know I'm going to choose to glorify in the lowest valley. 
This is the worst moment, but I'm going to choose to praise God. They, these heroes of the faith did the things they did because they held on to the promises of God. That there was a better country coming, that there was a Messiah coming, one who would save them. We're in a privileged position because we're looking back on some of that. We get to look back and go, we saw what you were waiting for and some of what you were waiting for is us, the church. But even that, it's, it's still not quite the completion of it. is sticking to what we know, what we assure is true. I wonder if, how confident you are in the gospel. You know, I was ha- we were having a discussion this week in uh, the, men's, the men's course, Fight Club. We sort of be on, try and be honest with each other and challenge one another. I think it was, maybe it was a week before, um, we're talking about like the confidence to share the gospel. And we sort of shared in the group, one of the reasons we don't share or we sort of back away from those moments can be because we think we don't want to mess it up. I don't want my presentation of the gospel to hinder someone getting saved. Actually, we need to have confidence. God does the saving. He occasionally allows us to be involved in the process because he's so kind to us. But we need to have confidence that It's God who saves. Now, we don't want to deliberately be difficult or mess it up, but we don't want to shrink back from these situations where there's a chance to speak out or own up for Jesus. I know work is a difficult scenario in terms of who's in what office and whatnot, but when there's a chance at work or in your social setting to say, oh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, whatever terminology you want to use. Do we shrink back from that like a turtle going back into its shell and just think, oh, if I just let this conversation pass, it'll be okay and I won't need to reveal myself? Or do we step into that scenario knowing that actually God wants to work in these people's lives? I said, was at a wedding yesterday. And just as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, you can stand at the front and you can, in a wedding and you can give your vows and you can receive vows and you can put your ring on. But if you don't live like you've, in the good of those, they're just words that you've said. If we don't live in the confidence of the gospel is power to save people. If we back off from that, if we shrink away, if we allow ourselves to be sort of, oh, no, I'm just going to let that conversation pass. Oh, okay, yeah, did you see the football? Don't mention football. Oh, Watford, what have you done to me? <laughs> My two teams are Man U and Watford. So it was an amazingly good, bad day <laughs> yesterday. Instead of shrinking back, we remind ourselves, this is what God's plan is. God's plan is to see a multitude of every nation, tribe and tongue worshipping him. So we should have confidence. Oh, you know, think on your own story, how you became a Christian, how you became a follower of Jesus. Someone had to tell you the gospel. 
We don't shrink back. We don't give in. Instead of shrinking back, we remind ourselves that we live in tents. We're only here for a period of time. We desire a better country that's massively populated with people that we have called into following Jesus. Verse 13 of chapter 11 says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Um, excuse me. There's a difference between living in a tent and living in a city. A city is a permanent place to dwell, isn't it? You know, I don't know if you've ever been to like a, you know, maybe you've been to London. Maybe you've just been in Watford your whole life. Um, I can remember when we went to, um, we went on a trip, Megan and I, we went to New York. And people say, oh, New York, it's got a buzz about it. You know, there's this energy. And I was like, yeah, whatever. It does. It's like when I was there, I was thinking, oh, I, f- I feel like I'm in the city. I'm part of the buzz. You know, I've got the energy. It's, it's, it's catching, you know, that kind of, you, you feel it. It's the difference between living in a tent and living in a city. But we are to live as strangers and exiles in the world. When I went to a conference recently, and it was really good. And one of the central themes and the main talk was centred around uh, the Benedictine vow of place. And it was good, and it was helpful. And uh, I think it's a timely message. And it, I'll read you what this vow says. Because uh, I think it's, it, it's a helpful uh, prompt, but there's some things that I think it's not completely perfect in. But it says this, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from one place to, from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. Scary. Uh, And the idea that things will be better someplace else is usually an illusion. When interpersonal conflicts arise, we have great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, forgiving. There is huge value in putting down roots, being where you are, loving the the place, the street, the town, the city, the community that you're in. That is massive. It's so important. That's why we, we love local church. You know, we could all, if we wanted to, we could just sit here, put up on the screen, I don't know, some church from another nation and go, oh, you know, the worship was really good. We piped it through the speakers. The talk was great. Fantastic. You know, let's all have a tea and a coffee together. We could do that, couldn't we? That's effectively what people have been doing for the last two years been watching a service on a screen. But local church is so important to be a community of people in a community loving that community. 
is so important. So there's great value in putting down roots. When I met Megan, I never had a plan to own my own home because I was like, if God wants me to go, I don't want anything tying me down. She very quickly explained to me how owning property would actually help me in that process if God called me to go somewhere that it's a really helpful thing to have. Uh, and it's, you know, overall, it's cheaper to own your own home than rent and all those sorts of things. She's good like that. She's, uh, she helps me in my areas of weakness. But there was so, there's something about that. There's a principle there which we, I mustn't lose in my, in my life. Now, I'm, I committed to this church. I love this church. I grew up in this church. It was a you know, different form like that. I love it. I love you. I'm committed to you. But we must never say, and that's it. God, you can't move me. Because we live with an eternal perspective. Maybe God wants to put you somewhere else. Maybe he wants you to really get stuck in here. Really pour yourself in. So we need to balance this. I'll go wherever you want me to, God. I'm a, I'm a rolling stone, actually. I'm part of a, a family and I'm locked in until you say otherwise. But we need to live knowing that even if we are here for a long time, this isn't it. You're, you know, even, there's something in that, that idea of you know, owning your own home isn't the be-all and end-all. It's, it's really, it's got lots of pros. There's some cons to it as well. And I think actually, there's something in saying, God, I'm here for as long as you've got me here and I'm committed. And sometimes you can act, you can make an act that represents that. And so, you know, I've said to people before, if you, re- you, you know, you, you act like you're committed, but you're not really because you're not invested in, in this town. And there's some things that I had to do to invest and say, yes, I'm in. I'm fully in. I'm committed. I'm, I'm putting down roots. And other times there are, there are things where we need to be able to say, but this isn't everything. You know, my home, I don't need to worry about everything being absolutely perfect. Because one day it'll all be gone. Because we're living for that future home. We must set our minds on the things above. When we pray, let your kingdom come, build your kingdom here, we sang this morning. We remember there's two aspects to that. I think probably what we most talk about is when we say, God, let your kingdom come. What we mean is, God, we want to see the power of the kingdom, that future kingdom. We want to see it now. We want to see, you know, in that future kingdom where there's no sickness and no death and everything's perfect, we want to see a taste of that now. When there's no division between nations, we want to see a taste of that now. That's what we're, we're praying about. That's what we're, we're asking for. But there's also this other aspect where we're saying the kingdom will fully come when the king comes. So we're saying, Jesus, come back. Come back. The early church, that was a prayer they prayed partly because they were in such hardship. You know, if someone you know has been sawn in two, you're probably going to pray, Jesus, come back quickly before it happens to me. 
I'm going to follow you, but come back quickly. When, you know, the hardship is Starbucks have stopped serving the eggnog latte, you know, oh, Jesus, it'd be nice if you came back. It's not quite the same intensity, does it? So what are we waiting for? All these, though, commended through their faith, verse 39, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What has God been speaking to you about? What is God calling you to do? Are you living in view of eternity, or are you living for today? In Luke 18, there's a story of a rich young ruler who approaches Jesus. And the ruler says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 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 <laughs> That's like Chicago or something, isn't it? I don't know. I'm drawn to the city. Um, the ruler said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, the ruler became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus seeing that he become sad said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It might not feel like it necessarily to you, but we are among those who are rich. We have things to give up for Christ. And so maybe this morning, Jesus is sort of just, even now, the Holy Spirit's just pressing on an area of your life. We're saying, one thing you lack, this. What about this thing? He's just pressing, a little bit of pressure. Something's coming to mind now stopping you from fully following Jesus. It's a tie to this life. Something of this life that you think, I really love that. That's, what I'm, that's, that's the focal point of my life, not following Jesus. But Jesus says, give away all you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, there's a balance to be struck here again. And, you know, stewardship is massively important. Proverbs says a wise man stores up wealth for his children's children. That's a good thing to do. So, and I'm not just specifically talking about finances and money here. There's, there's things in our lives where Jesus says, this thing, is that, am I the king of your heart or is this thing the king of your heart? Because there's only one, there's only space for one on the throne of your life. Is there something holding you fully back from following Jesus? Are you living more for today than for the undiscovered country? When we live with an eternal perspective, we live differently. We don't hold so tightly to the things of this world. It's not so important to have the latest and the greatest. My phone is... <laughs> infuriating. I'm, in the, I'm going to be getting a new one soon. 
there's a, there's a, there's a draw in me to go, oh, I'd really like that. This one, oh, that's amazing. That looks great. It's got all these features. All, well, they've got back the flip phones. You know, you remember those now? They've sort of brought out a new version. There's a draw to those things, isn't there? Oh, it'd be nice to have that. And there's nothing wrong with having those things unless those things have a hold on you. I have to have the latest because then people will know I'm the guy with the latest stuff. I'm that guy. I'm successful. I, I can afford it. I'm, I looked at some of the contracts for some of these things. I think, flipping heck, that's more than two or three of my bills combined. Do you know what I mean? So it's nothing wrong with these things unless they have a hold on us. And actually, you know, I love the wonders of technology and all those sorts of things. But we live differently, don't we? Those things aren't so important. What type of phone you have doesn't say anything about the type of person you are, really, in, an eternal, in the eternal scheme of things. The people mentioned in this who are commended for their faith, they didn't even have phones. don't know if you knew that. I hope you did. <laughs> we need to live with that eternal perspective, always aware of that tug to... I'm going to be focused on this. No, lift our heads. Don't shrink back. We need to remind ourselves of the stories. Go away and read those stories that were mentioned in that passage. We need to put down roots. We need to be, love the place we're in. But we need to be ready to cut ties as well with anything that would hold us back. What are you waiting for? What are you living for? I'm going to pray for us, and then maybe we could sing uh, a song again afterwards as we respond. There's going to be a prayer team at the back over there. If you know that God has just pressed on you a particular area of life that you think, actually, I need to get that under control I need to surrender that to Jesus. Please go and be prayed for after the service. If you know actually what was shared this morning about being just in a difficult space and I want to respond to Jesus, I want to say, Jesus, come and walk me through it. Go and get prayer this morning. If you know, actually, I want to be someone who doesn't shrink back, go and be prayed for this morning. If you just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit again, to have power, to be a, a more powerful witness and a more effective witness for Jesus, go and be prayed for. Being prayed for is not a negative thing. I just want to encourage you in that. Some of the most significant moments in my life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, of when I've gone, either, do you know what? I just want someone to pray for me and I've gone and asked someone to pray for me and I've, God's spoken into my life. Or I've said, you know, I feel a little bit awkward going to be prayed for. Some of the stuff they said, if someone thinks I'm going over there because of the first thing he said, they'll think that I'm, you know, whatever. Actually, I've got, I mean, I've responded and someone's prayed for me. I go, you know, who cares what someone else thinks? We want to be followers of Jesus Christ. Maybe if you're thinking like that, the thing that God's pressing on is you're more concerned with other people's opinions of you than you are of what Jesus thinks of you. Let me pray for us all.
Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you, you know the stories so fully and so well. And that one day we will be able to feast and listen in full to the stories of Gideon and David. And that we will know ultimately how they all point to your son. We'll be able to say, oh, that was so great, Gideon, how you, you kept the faith, how you had such conviction when God spoke to you. And then we'll be able to look at the son. We'll be able to look at our Lord Jesus. And go, wow. Even more, even more than the greatest example. He had conviction. Thank you, Lord, for what we're about to look at next week in chapter 12. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you are building for us a city. That we are not just a group of people in a school in Watford, but that we are part of the great chain of your people. That apart from us in this place, apart from the church now, the stories of David and Gideon and Moses and Abraham wouldn't be complete. That we are part of that great heritage, Lord. Help us to look up and see the grand scope of what we are a part of. Help us to be those who step in to situations and don't shrink back. Who through the power of your Holy Spirit, through having such confidence in you and assurance in you, conviction of what we know to be true, that we can step into situations and see the gospel transform lives. We thank you that that's what the gospel does. So I pray, Lord, give us courage Give us your courage. Give us your bravery to step into those situations and speak life and truth. I ask Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. I thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you for speaking to us, Lord, through words and your word and different pictures. Thank you for your presence with us. Pray you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.